Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Meltem Demiris of CoinShares and Jala Jobin Putra of Future Perfect Ventures and I are all teaching a crypto workshop at Omega Institute in Rhinebank, New York from September 20th to the 22nd. If talking crypto while doing yoga, eating healthy food, and enjoying the outdoors is your jam, then go to the show notes now for the link to join us. Want to know what I think are the most important crypto news stories and takes every week? Sign up for my email newsletter at unchainedpodcast.com. Coindesk, the number one blockchain and crypto media outlet, is hosting Consensus in New York City. Tickets are on sale now at www.consensus2019.com, where you can save $300 with promo code UNCONFIRMED300. CypherTrace makes it easy for exchanges and crypto businesses to comply with cryptocurrency anti-money laundering laws, avoid illegal sources of funds, and maintain healthy banking relationships. CypherTrace is helping you grow the crypto economy by keeping it safe and secure. Today's guest is Robert Jan Den Haan, a freelance journalist and contributor to The Block who has been researching the Bitfinex tether situation for over a year. Welcome, Robert Jan. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. I was in Berlin when all this news about Bitfinex and Tether broke, and I have barely had time to keep up on all the developments since, and there's been a ton. Why don't you start with a high-level overview of what has happened, starting with kind of like setting the scene from early 2017 when Bitfinex lost its banking relationship with Wells Fargo? Uh, right. Well, I think we can fill an entire podcast with that one by itself. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, so so in 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 March of 2017, um, Bitfinex was using uh, banks in in Taiwan. Um, they had been using those for quite a while, um, but at that point, Wells Fargo um, stopped being the uh, or stopped offering its services to be a, a correspondent bank to them, uh, and that really got them into a jam. Like they had no access to stable banking, um, and uh, basically. The way out of that was first to buy time by suing Wells Fargo. They tried that, but they withdrew the lawsuits. But then, secondly, they, uh, uh, by starting to work with uh, with this yeah, third party payment processors, and then particularly uh, crypto capital. If we fast forward a little bit to what's happening now, is uh, we now know that uh, Bitfinex is uh, is down eight hundred fifty million dollars, or not necessarily down, but it's missing them. It's they're inaccessible because they're Apparently, um, uh, with crypto capital, uh, crypto capital, but they have been seized by uh, authorities. At least that's what they have been told. They're sort of contesting this story from crypto capital, but uh, at the end of the day, at this moment, uh, they're missing this money. And the way to solve that, because they had troubles, uh, yeah, processing the withdrawals for their customers, was to draw on a line of credits from Tether. 
uh, the, the stablecoin that is uh, directly associated with Bitfinex or basically it's the same people behind them. So that's sort of the very quick of uh, what happened in 2017 and with a fast forward like right now, Bitfinex uh, has a serious issue, basically. And so everybody in the crypto community, or not everybody, but you know, most people are familiar with Bitfinex and Tether, but it really sounds like the loss of this money starts with this other company that most people are not familiar with, Crypto Capital. So what happened there exactly? Mm-hmm. So what happened there is um, basically if you look at how this co- uh, company was operating, it seems that they were like getting in uh, companies in different uh, different uh, countries, either uh, incorporating them or buying them over, uh, buying them up. And then they uh, use those uh, uh, companies to open accounts at various banks. So uh, we know about bank accounts in Poland, in Portugal, uh, in the US uh, and a few few other ones. But those are the very important uh, countries to remember. And um, whenever, like at some point, those accounts stopped working, right? either banks shut them down or, in fact, uh, they were seized by authorities. Um, so basically, they were playing this cat and mouse game uh, to use accounts for as long as possible. Um, but at some point, uh, yeah, the music stopped playing. Uh, and then they moved on to a new account. So that was the way that they were getting bank accounts. And then for Bitfinex specifically, they were providing these accounts as uh, directly to be like the, the deposit address for people to deposit fiat uh, currency into the Bitfinex platform. So for the 850 million, when it comes to that, you know, that is the amount that I guess was lost through crypto capital. But what is the current mm-hmm. status of that money or at least the portion that we have information about? Yeah, basically, we know that uh, from what Bitfinex has told the New York State Attorney's General's Office, that it's 850 million that is, uh, yeah, basically tied up with crypto capital. So what we know is that they're um, they're they're part of, or they have been seized, or at least part of it has been seized in three countries, then the countries that we just named, being Poland, Portugal, and and the U.S. And what we can confirm is that there was an anti-money laundering operation in Poland. Uh, linked to the subsidiary of crypto capital, right? So this happened in uh, early in tw- 2017, and I've I can almost specifically uh, get you the date, but it's really like the end of January around then that uh, it was the initial move, and that led to the seizure of two uh, two companies, and then later on a follow up company. So a third company uh, was then involved in the investigation. Uh, so one is the subsidiary of crypto capital, one is connected to crypto capital through the same people, and the third one was used by crypto capital for its own customers, uh, also to obtain bank accounts. So that's that what we is what we can confirm. And in that uh, light, it was related to around three hundred and fifty million dollars uh, or equivalent of that. But we do not know for sure if that full amount is also part of the eight hundred and fifty million that is, uh, yeah, that Bitfinex is missing. And then in Portugal, we know more or less that something happened there as well, but it's not really clear whether or not it's, we're really talking about a seizure by authorities or not. And we do also know now with um, with news breaking a few, day, a few days later where Reginald Fowler and uh, Ravid Joseph were indicted for, among others, bank fraud and conspiracy to do so, that there is also money seized in the US. Um, and there, there was in this indictment, it was related to that they were saying, hey, uh, we, we want to have bank accounts, so we're opening bank accounts for real estate business. But in fact, this, these were indeed accounts to process uh, yeah, 
transactions for cryptocurrency exchanges. And we know that that was one of them was uh, Bitfinex through crypto capital. Like these accounts were used for them. One of the accounts link, uh, even named the number of it in that indictment uh, matches an account that was used by Bitfinex. So we also know that money has been seized there. We don't know the amount though. And all of these actions, they may not all deal with the exact same entities, but the people behind those entities are are roughly the same. Is that correct? Meaning like crypto capital, global trade solutions, global trading solutions, yeah. which are actually two different companies, one in one in Switzerland, yeah. one in the US. And so can you kind of describe yeah how all those are related? Yeah, so um so crypto capital was uh, originally from uh, from Panama, but now it's operating indeed from a, a company in Switzerland. It's called Global uh, Global Trade Solutions, and then there's another company, and that's linked to the to to the Mr. Fowler that's now been indicted here in or in the U.S. It's, which is called Global Trading Solutions uh, LLC. But they're from what, what you can tell, they're they're separate companies, um, but it's. It's yeah. From what it, it's been described to me, as this uh, the, that the American company is like an agent of crypto capital, but from what it looks like, is that it's sort of the U.S. branch of it. It's like on paper, it's separate. Uh, in practice, uh, it was it was only dealing them with each other. And then if you look at the people behind it, then uh, well, the Mr. Uh, Reginald Fowler was uh, um, he's not part of crypto capital as far as we can tell. But all uh, we have some like wire details that we could uh, look at, which were through uh, companies owned by him in Portugal, that was sending out fiat withdrawals from Bitfinex, uh, processed through crypto capital. So there's multiple links with the same people, uh, yeah, with money going one way or the other uh, between crypto capital and this American company. And then we also have these two different moves by the New York regulators. Do those moves seem coordinated? Yeah. So. If we look at indeed, uh, so we have the, the, the New York Attorney's General Office in relation to Bitfinex, and then we need this uh, indictment by the Southern District of, of New York for Mr. Fowler and uh, Varvid Joseph. Yes, they seem very much related. So one, uh, for, uh, of course, they're only uh, five days apart. Like the, of course, it was an unsealed indictment. We now learned just now that the initial indictment was issued on the 11th of April, so a little bit earlier. Um, but considering that it's unsealed now, uh, it does look like that was on purpose, uh, unpurposely done until this other uh, file was issued. Uh, and if you think about it, if you if you look at that, um, yeah, that they're trying to find the the money that's missing, or uh, at least Bitfinex is, I, I would hope, then it would make all the much sense that they're actually cooperating on this if they suspect that crypto capital is telling them a false story. Right, they would have every incentive uh, to try to get that money back and cooperate with, in this case, then the New York uh, Attorney General's office, yeah, to see where this money actually is or and try to get it back. I think we can, yeah, uh, we can just assume that uh, that the different offices in New York uh, communicate with each other. So yeah, they're they're connected. Yeah, and I would say that also makes sense, although. You know, uh, we're not really sure right now, but uh, it just seems like obviously if Bitfinex had entrusted crypto capital with its money, crypto capital wasn't returning the money. And now um, the regulators are going after crypto capital and Bitfinex thinks that that could help them get the money back. Of course, you know, the incentives would line up, you know, but but I would definitely say uh, one 
detail that stuck out, of course, which a lot of people have been talking about is the fact that Bitfinex engaged crypto capital, but they did not drop a contract with them, which <laughs> um, <laughs> is, you know, probably another source of their woes. Um, all right. So we're going to discuss. Yeah. So, uh, so the moment, the moment I read that my jaw dropped, like we're talking, <laughs> I mean, I signed a contract for just to publish a story or to add, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about millions of dollars. <laughs> hundreds, hundreds of millions. Yeah. All right. So we're going to discuss uh, some recent, more recent developments and also Bitfinex's initial exchange offering in a moment. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. Did you know that if money laundering were an economy, its GDP would be the size of Canada's? Large volumes of tainted crypto assets move through financial networks, often below the radar of banks. Cybercriminals use unregulated crypto exchanges to avoid detection. No wonder governments around the world are rolling out tough, new anti-money laundering laws for cryptocurrencies. Complying with those laws isn't easy. Banks and exchanges need the best cryptocurrency intelligence available to avoid penalties. Now you can use the same powerful AML and compliance monitoring tools used by regulators. CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. To learn more, visit cyphertrace.com slash unchained. At Consensus 2019, hear from trailblazers like Neil Ferguson, Christine Moy, head of JP Morgan's blockchain program, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, and others leading the way in blockchain and crypto technology. Participate in a hackathon at Microsoft's Tech Center, where developers will compete for $30,000 in prizes and network with executives, developers, founders, regulators, investors, government officials, and more. Get your tickets now, as this event is getting close to selling out. Go to www.consensus2019.com to register. Don't forget to use code UNCONFIRMED300 so they know we sent you. Back to my conversation with Robert Yan Den Han. So on Thursday, which is actually the day you and I are recording, there was a, yet another development involving Reginald Fowler. So what happened there? Um, yeah, so uh, today another uh, court filing was made, in this case by the District of uh, Arizona, and it was related to the plaintiff uh, being a flight risk. So they asked that he uh, remains detained uh, until the trial. And this was published, or at least the document, uh, I found this just minutes before uh, we started recording this. So I had quickly, I've quickly gone over it. But I might, if I miss something, uh, uh, we'll uh, send some tweets out. But it looks like uh, that the document itself, it's, it really specifies like what they were doing. And one of the, the key things to look at is that basically the prosecutors, they found sort of an email uh, exchange where they were talking about the a sort of, I believe it's called the, a U.S. workbook or something. And they were, and it sort of shows that they were contemplating or perhaps even executing already that they were uh, going to take like 10% of the money that they were running, which would mean or indicate that 10% of the money they were being, pro, they were processing for crypto capital um, that they were trying to sort of embezzle it, I suppose. And the other thing related to that is that the, one of the main reasons why they think he's a flight risk is that um, Mr. Fowler has uh, a lot of money uh, in accounts abroad, overseas. So um, to the point where, and I'm quoting for the document, is that he could live indefinitely abroad from the funds that he has, basically. So that means that um, there's still a lot of money um, missing 
perhaps not seized. We don't know exactly how that all lines up. But clearly, there's more going on here than just uh, money being seized from crypto capital itself. Wow. All right. Yeah. And there's one other this. Well, this isn't a development, but but or I mean, it is a development, but it's more kind of uh, news that something will happen on Monday. Um, I read a Coindesk article that had been updated to say, quote, on Tuesday, New York Supreme Court Justice Joel Cohen ordered the New York Attorney General's office to demonstrate to the court why the Attorney General's initial ex parte order should not be canceled outright, or at least modified to allow Bitfinex and Tether's employees to access a line of credit offered by Tether to Bitfinex. The NYAG yeah. must submit a response detailing its reasoning by May 6th, 2019. And that's Monday. So what is the significance of that? To be honest, I'm not 100% sure because uh, I wouldn't say I'm particularly familiar or, or at least not familiar enough with U.S. law uh, how that would work out. But what, for my, what, what I do know from, um, well, actually mostly having followed uh, what's been going on with Mr. Mueller uh, in, in the U.S., is that usually, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you start reading uh, things about law. From what I understand is that usually um, the courts really uh, puts a, a high level of uh, a high burden on uh, to be able to prove that uh, a move is necessary on the government. Like usually the government has most of the resources to to uh, prove something, so make sure that it's uh, really necessary. So for me, this is not a positive or negative in the sense like that it's good for Bitfinex or bad for Bitfinex. This is just sort of something that has to be done. What the outcome of okay. that is, I, I, I don't know. Okay. So let's now move on to the fact that Bitfinex is now apparently planning an initial exchange offering of $1 billion. What's your take on why they're doing this and whether or not it's a good move? Yeah, so basically, I wrote earlier this week in, in one of the articles about this about these developments, like maybe Bitfinex is realizing that it needs a plan B. So there were first, there were some rumors from apparently a shareholder who's saying like, hey, um, we expect this money to become available within just a few weeks. Um, well, that seems very unlikely if you look at that. Well, we know, for example, uh, that, that the, the Polish investigation has been ongoing for a year. And I can also, uh, I know also that it's that is still ongoing. So a matter of weeks is not very realistic. I wouldn't say near future is very realistic. So maybe they're looking into a way to uh, to close the gap uh, in, an, in a different way. Like if you think about it, then an initial exchange offering for $1 billion would cover the whole of the 850 million that they currently have. So that's, that's take one, whether or not that's... Uh, uh, a good thing or to be honest i would expect that they have communicated this also with an attorney uh yeah the, the attorney general's office in new york then again having read the the filing by the by that office again um there seems to be been a breakdown in the communication when this tether uh line of credit started to happen uh like postponing that they had to produce documents and then once this line of credit was really closed. Then all of a sudden, things were were, uh, were pro produced for the for the office. So I don't know. First, I was thinking they must have at least communicated this plan, right? But I'm not so sure anymore. It's so whether or not that's it's a good idea from that perspective. 
I would hope so. If they've communicated and, and they're, uh, they've been given a green light to do so, then probably it's a good thing. Otherwise, I'm not so sure how that, how that office is going to respond to that plan if executed. Yeah, there's something about this that reminds me a little bit of back when they had the hack and then they socialized the losses with that token where, you know, I just, and, and I think this is what a lot of people's complaint is with Bitfinex and Tether that it, it appears and, you know, whether or not that is actually the case, I, I think remains to be seen, but it appears that they are really smart with the different ways that you can use magic internet money. Uh, and, <laughs> um, and so <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? So yeah. there is mm-hmm. something that appears a little bit like, oh, like you're in a pickle, just create a token. <laughs> so we'll see, yeah, whether or not this is something that has their, has the regulator's blessing, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can add though that um, from what I've been told by by a source very uh, just also not too long ago is that um, so I guess this is sort of a mini scoop but I want to stress that this is a rumor I, I cannot confirm this but apparently there there is a launch scheduled for invited investors of Bitfinex in Hong Kong on the 14th of May um, so that could indicate that this uh, initial exchange offering is indeed uh, yeah going to happen. But I cannot confirm this, so take it with a grain of salt. But otherwise, you've heard it here first. Okay, okay. Well, I guess we will, you know, events are moving quickly, so (laughs) we will probably find out soon enough whether or not that can be verified. Well, the last couple questions I want to ask, why do you think it is that the market hasn't reacted much? Yeah, that's a good question. I saw saw a tweet by um, Alex Kruger. He's a trader. Uh, and he was actually uh, listing some, uh, yeah, some some reasons why it, it might be. Uh, I'll, I'm quickly Google, uh, getting getting it back up. But so he was suggesting like one shortening is, is expensive, and um, as well as arbiters might profit from it from it uh, from when tether prices deviate between different exchanges. At the same time, other stable coins are uh, are less liquid than USDT, so maybe. There is a, it's still functioning in that regard. Yeah, so there, there are multiple reasons. He lists a few more. So there's multiple reasons why there could be that it's, uh, it hasn't really been, uh, been fluctuating that much or going down that much. I think the premium is like only 1% at the moment. But the premium on Bitfinex, though, is much higher. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, there are people, uh, I think for Bitcoin on Bitfinex, it is there. It is trading at a premium. One thing I would recommend people do is you guys should listen to the re- most recent episode of What Grinds My Gears, which is Meltem's and Jill Carlson's podcast, because it's all it's all about the tether situation. Um, but Meltem made some really insightful remarks about the usefulness of tether, and also just commented on the fact that. There are a lot of people outside of the US who traded on secondary markets and they mm-hmm. you know they're not they're not really following like what's going on with the New York Attorney General's office and and in general she was saying that like it's almost like there are two markets for tether there's the one where you know you need to withdraw and and make deposits and you know obtain the tether and then like it has this second life right where mm-hmm. there are many markets where it trades but not you know, it's not like you're going to withdraw dollars. It's just trading against Bitcoin or wherever. And so in that regard, like it's serving a, a useful, you know, purpose there. And, and that could be another factor for why, um, 
you know, the price hasn't plummeted despite the fact that it's only 74% bagged at the moment. Yeah. Um, all right. So last question, what are you, you know, what questions are you looking at going forward? Huh. Well, I'm mostly looking forward to, to learn about, uh, where is the money basically? Follow the money is always a good, uh, good thing to, for investigative journalists. So where is that? Is it all there? All the, the 850 million in this case for Bitfinex, is that still there? Or is part of it gone now or, or maybe not retrievable, so to say? And then, um, if we, uh, if we do find it, then is it, re- is it going to be returned in that sense? Like, um, in that case, usually if, an, if money is seized and especially if it's in this case seized by, by a company that holds assets for another person or company, then you would, as Bitfinex, uh, would have to make claim to to the amount. But um, yeah, that might be uh, tricky to prove, especially with all these commingling of sources. I, I don't know how that would work out. But you could also have competing claims that somebody else is claiming uh, part of the money as well. And, and from my understanding, at least here in the Netherlands, those kinds of situations can last a long, long time before being resolved. Yeah, so we will see what happens with that. Uh, one last thing I would urge listeners to do is I will put a link in the show notes to this satiric article by Coin Jazeera that had me like laughing out loud. It was so funny. It skewers pretty much everybody in the story. And um, because if you've been following the commentary on crypto Twitter, suddenly all these people that would always be shouting proof of reserves whenever there was any indication that any exchange might be running a fractional reserve. Now they're suddenly defending the exit being only 74% tether. <laughs> so it was making fun of people like that. Then it was um, making fun of uh, the actual fractional reserve uh, banking system that we have in the US and the fact that the regulators are going after tether when um, actually <laughs> the, the normal banking system is even less, uh, less fully backed in any way. So the whole thing is just hilarious. So I just was dying reading it. But anyway, well, thank you so much, Robert Jan. It's been great having you on Unconfirmed. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check the links in the show notes of your podcast player. If you are not yet signed up for my email newsletter, go to unchainedpodcast.com right now to get my thoughts on the top crypto stories of the week. Be sure to check out our new channel on YouTube. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.